what is the empty tomb? What is Christ's death in the empty tomb? What is it? I'll tell you what it is. It is Christ swallowing sin. And you probably didn't guess you were going to hear this on Easter Day. But you know what? The best news is Christ didn't puke when he did it. See, Jonah goes into the whale. What happens? That whale gets nauseous. It vomits him up. Christ is getting nauseous. He went into the whale at his death, and he split its guts, and he killed it, and then he sauteed it so that all of us could enjoy it for Easter brunch. Christ, the giant mouth with this unbelievable stomach, death. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. The word of the Lord. I'd like to suggest to you this morning that there is one line, just one line in this prophecy that takes in the whole prophecy that takes in all the things that we know and believe about God and that can explain your entire life all in just one line this one the sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. I thought about that line as I stared at a tear. It sat right on the cheek. You know how that is? The part of the cheek that is most parallel to the ground? 
And it sat there just for a millisecond before it took that, you know, black diamond run down the rest of the cheek. Splashed down onto the floor. There was a whole world in that tear. A world of loss, of love, of pain, of memories, of joy, of disappointment. It was all there in just, just one tear, in just one millisecond. I went home and I thought about how I saw that tear through tears of my own. All of us are crying all the time. You do know that, right? They're called basal tears. That's how you see. Science says we cry them to lubricate our eyes one to two microliters a minute. All of us are crying all of the time just so that we can see. See, tears help you see the world. There's a whole world in tears. Tears, when, when you look at them in this prophecy, they open up to you what the prophecy means. The prophecy comes at you with a rush of images, right? There's, there's this image of, of God and his people. They're on this mountain, and God is turned into this chef. I mean, there's this meal that's spread out before all of these resurrected people. And then there's this another image. There's this shroud, this veil that's over all of humanity, this veil of death. All of us feel it all of the time, and God swallows it like he's this giant mouth with this bottomless stomach. And then there's another image. There's this image of, of God coming, and he's wiping the tears off people's faces. Those tears, they illuminate for you what God is doing. My twin brother, he helped me understand that. He uses, uh, he's a pastor as well, he uses this prophecy at funerals, actually. He says sometimes he can even make people laugh at funerals because he talks about how nobody can eat when they're crying. I mean, you don't, you don't come up to a coffin and look into the face of a loved one and then turn around and say, what's for lunch? You don't do that. In fact, there's something wrong with crying and eating at the same time. We all know that. You don't sit there and cry these tears and then turn into Cookie Monster. There's something really wrong with that. So these tears, they help you see that God has done so much more in resurrection than we might expect. We can see what he's doing. When God comes to us in the prophecy and he says, look, I'm going to be the chef. I'm going I'm to come, I'm going to put you on this holy mountain. I'm going to serve you. I mean, it's so backwards, right? You think that you're going to be the one serving God. No, 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 no. God is going to be the chef. God is going to be the one who's sautéing, who's frying. I think it's going to be meat, but there's probably some vegetarians in here. He's sautéing. He's frying. He's getting the perfect, you know, sear. God the chef with the finest 
of foods. And then, as if that weren't enough, it's God the winemaker. It's God the sommelier. It's God who's made this perfect dinner for everybody to enjoy. It's like he's taking that wine and he's swirling it around in the glass and he's saying, do you understand this is something better than Dom Perignon rose gold, which you can get on the internet these days for $60,000? But see, you can eat it. See, you can actually eat it. And you can enjoy it. God wipes away the tears so you can. So it shows you that resurrection is so much more than God putting your body back together with your soul. It's so much more than than your body coming out of the ground reconstituted for life, immortal life. It's so much more than that. What you start to see is that God has given dimensions to resurrection life. There's breadth, there's depth, there's what's happening external to you, there's what's happening internal to you. This is why God, in the prophecy, he doesn't show you resurrected bodies walking around. What he shows you is a dinner, a banquet, the types of which I never get invited to. I don't have enough money. He doesn't show you these bodies coming out of the ground. What he shows you is the perfect glass of wine. Don't you see what God has done? Do you know how hard it is to get the perfect glass of wine? You have, to, you have to have vines that are in the right climate and don't have insects attacking them, and you have to have a really good winemaker. That's how you get the perfect glass of wine. Everything in the creation has to be working perfectly. That's how you get a perfect glass of wine. So what you see is that when God resurrects people, he resurrects everything. The tears show you that. No more pain. No more tears. No more brokenness in this life. Resurrection for every part of God's creation. Even you. Even you. See, the thing about this resurrection, this prophecy, is that it crashes into your life. Prophecy is a way of doing that. It crashes into your life. The minute you start thinking about the fact that God is going to come and he's going to wipe your tears away is the same minute you start thinking about what it is that he actually has to wipe away. what it is that pains you so much in your soul. So it crashes into your life. This scripture is the chosen lesson for the church. Isaiah chapter 25, it's being read all over the world today. Preachers are preaching on it all over the world. I have, I have a preacher friend who's preaching on it as well. It crashed into his life. He's thinking about this prophecy. He said he was listening to this weird song and it just grabbed him. The, 
this weird song. It's, it's called If We Were Vampires. And it's by a group called Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit. I just want to read you the stanza. This, this man's singing about his wife. He says this. It's not the long, flowing dress that you're in or the light coming off your skin, the fragile heart you protected so long, or the mercy in your sense of right and wrong. It's not your hands searching slow in the dark or your nails leaving love's watermark. It's not the way you talk me off the roof, your questions like directions to the truth. The man says this, it's knowing this can't go on forever. And then he imagines a world where they could be vampires. A world where they could not die. Where they could have more than 40 years together. This prophecy crashes into your life. I had the same thing happen to me. I'm thinking about Isaiah 25. I'm, I'm out on a run. It's a beautiful day. The sun is out. I'm running. I'm thinking about this. And I'm just hating death. I'm just hating it. I'm running up this hill. It's weird how you can be so rational when you're so sad. And you're looking at yourself sort of detached. I'm like, if anybody sees me running up this hill right now, they're going to think I'm nuts. I'm running up this hill. And I'm choking on my tears. I'm choking on them. Because I'm thinking about losing my wife. And how God gives me this world where I never will have to. See the prophecy, it, the tears in it, 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 it opens up the world to you. A whole world of God. He is the one who gave us this prophecy. It comes from him. It comes from his heart. It comes from what his goal is for us in his creation. It tells you about him. Can I tell you something about him? Can I tell you something about God? I'm going to, even if you say no. He's been on a rampage ever since tears came into the world. He's been on a rampage to end them forever. He can't stand tears. Did you know that about him? He can't. He talks about this everywhere in the scriptures. God is like a magnet to metal when it comes to tears. He's like a lion coming at prime rib. He can't help himself. He has to do something about tears. He has to. This is who God is. I mean, when I think about that as a pastor, I, I think about Psalm 56. Do you know what it says in Psalm 56? It, it says that God takes your tears and he bottles them. Did you know that? Did you know that God takes your tears and that he bottles them up, that he takes them and he writes them down in a journal, that he counts them, that he numbers them, that he knows them? Isn't that a poignant truth? I mean, you look back at it and, and the fact is that God remembers your tears better than you do. God cares about them more than you do. You're not bottling them. You're not writing them down. You're not numbering them like God does. But God does that. 
He knows your scars. He knows your tears. He knows your pains. He knows the tears that you cried when you went to the funeral of your loved one that just burst out of you. He knows the tears that you cry in your room all alone. He knows the tears that you wish you could cry, but they're so repressed in you, but that they never actually come out. You know those kinds, the kind that you're depressed and you can't get it out. The anxiety that is tears in your soul. The, the, the shame that you have when you think about that sin that you did and the tears just come down. They're hot. They're cold. They're everything. God knows all the tears and he is like He's like a magnet to metal. He's like a lion to prime rib. He has got to come for those tears. He has got to wipe them away. Wipe them away. I don't want you to think that God is like an elderly grandpa here. Sympathetic to your tears, something like that. He's so much more. The biblical idea behind wiping away tears is actually annihilation. It's destruction. See? He has to wipe them away. Like in the Psalms, God's people would pray that enemies would be wiped away. See, they're destroyed. In the flood, God takes evil and wickedness and he wipes it away. It's destroyed. It's like what Gonzaga did, except for last night in the NCAA tournament. They wiped away their opponents. God wipes your tears away. He's tender to you. But he is destructive. He is violent towards everything that hurts you. See, the tears reveal that to you. God's tenderness towards you, his destructiveness towards all that hurts you. That's who God is. Look at the prophecy. What does it say? He wipes away your tears. He's tender towards you. And, and so what he does is he, is he sets this banquet in front of you so that you can eat, so that you can enjoy in your new resurrected body. But did you notice in the prophecy that God is also eating? God eats. What's the prophecy say? He swallows death. Bon appetit God. He swallows death. He's tender towards you. He's vicious to death. What's the prophecy say? He's tender to you. He's making a home so you can live on this mountain with him forever. That's what the prophecy says. But look what it says that he does with your disgrace. The prophecy says that he's going to remove his people's disgrace from planet Earth. See, he's tender towards you. He makes a home for you. But what he does with your disgrace is he is a vicious landlord. I'm telling you, he's a vicious landlord. He takes it and he evicts disgrace from the planet. Now, I'm tempted to do a little bit of analysis with you on that. I am. I'm tempted to show you that what you got there in verse 8 is you've got a, you got a triad. Isaiah loves triads. Groupings of three. One. The sovereign Lord is going to swallow death forever. That's one. 
to the sovereign Lord is going to wipe away tears from all faces. That's two. And three, he's going to evict. He's going to get disgrace off planet Earth. That's three. Right in the middle are the tears. And on either side, you got the causes for tears. If you've ever thought about this, there's only two causes for tears, only two reasons why people cry. That's it. Just two. I can explain all of your tears in just two categories. It's two. Ready? Here's the analysis of it. One. You're crying because something has died. Something's died. Your hopes, your dreams, a relationship, a loved one. Something's died. That's why you're crying. One. Two. You've been disgraced. Either you've been disgraced because you sinned or because somebody sinned against you. So either A, something's died, or B, you've sinned. Either way, that's what causes tears. I can explain all of your tears in those two categories. What's in the middle? Tears. God wipes them all away. So I could do some analysis with you on that. And I could show this is what Isaiah is saying. Isaiah is saying that God is going to be this giant mouth with this unbelievable stomach. He's going to take down death forever. And I could tell you, no, God is a vicious landlord. He's going to evict this disgrace, this sin from planet Earth. It's not going to exist anymore here. But you know what I really want to do this morning? I want to preach Easter. Don't you realize that's what Easter is? What do you think the cross is? That's God being tender to you, but vicious to your disgraces. Do you know what he's done in the cross? He's taken your sin, your disgrace, and he's evicted it. Christ is a vicious landlord to that stuff. It has no place on planet Earth anymore. I mean, think about it. Your sin, it can't move in next door. It can't move in in the neighborhood beyond that. It can't move into another state. It can't even move into a different country. It can't even move into a different continent. Christ has evicted our disgrace from planet Earth. That's what the cross is. What is the empty tomb? What is Christ's death in the empty tomb? What is it? I'll tell you what it is. It is Christ swallowing sin, and you probably didn't guess you were going to hear this on Easter Day, but you know what? The best news is Christ didn't puke when he did. See, Jonah goes into the whale. What happens? That whale gets nauseous. It vomits him up. Christ doesn't get nauseous. He went into the whale at his death and he split its guts and he killed it and then he sautéed it so that all of us could enjoy it for Easter brunch. Christ, the giant mouth with this unbelievable stomach, death swallowed forever. That's Easter. Christ takes all of the things, all of the things that make you cry, and he ends them forever.
So now we have to get down to brass tacks. And now we got to push this into your life just a little bit. Do you know why people cry? Charles Darwin thought that human tears were purposeless. That's what he said. He couldn't understand why anybody cries. And there is a mystery to tears. They're the only physical manifestation that you have to connect to emotions. That's why we cry. Only physiological response that we know of always is connected to emotions. Why do we cry? There's a mystery there. I think we can push into it at least this much. Why do we cry? Tears are about intimacy, vulnerability, connection, and relationship. That's what they're about. That's why the Creator gave us tears, so we'd connect. Of course, you know this quite instinctually. This is why men have the most trouble with this sometimes. Hard on relationships. Tears are about connection. I was thinking about this. Um, just the, the, the sheer intimacy that's involved with sharing tears. And I was thinking about this, and I realized there's only two people on the planet for whom I would wipe tears away. Only two. My wife and my daughter. That's it. It would feel inappropriate to me to wipe anybody else's tears. My wife and my daughter, that's it. There is sheer emotional intimacy there. We know this. Kids know this. What do kids do with tears? They, they shove their faces into pillows. You know what? Adults do the same thing. We don't like to admit it. We do the same thing. What do we do? We slap on our sunglasses. That's what we do. We stay home when we're sad. Because we realize there's sheer emotional connection and intimacy attached to tears. Believe me, you guys, I get it. Sometimes we um, have family movie nights on Friday night. We watch a Pixar film or something like that. And then there's a part in the film where I'm moved deeply by something that's gone on. And so what I do is I get up and I drink, get a drink of water. And I'm praying that one of my girls doesn't look. Make sure, you know. And then inevitably somebody does, and they say, are you crying? And I'm caught. See, and that's the thing about tears, they're not meant to be hidden from anybody. Especially from him. See, today, today, is the call to share your tears with your God. Don't, don't put on your sunglasses with him. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't turn away. Share your tears with your God. You've got them. Everybody does. You notice that in the, in the prophecy. What's it say? It says God wipes away the tears of the people who are crying. No, 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 it doesn't say that. <laughs> he says he wipes away the tears from all faces. Everybody's crying. Inside, outside, everybody's crying. 
share your tears with God. Understand that he takes them off your cheek and he treats them like a diamond and puts them in a bottle and he cares about each and every one of them. Take off your sunglasses and share your tears with him. Because God knows something. He knows that when you share a single tear with him, that what you have in fact done is shared with him your entire world. If you've seen that today, that you can do that. That God is a God who is bent on wiping them away. That he wants to play chef at the kind of feast that even a Michelin-starred restaurant can't imagine. That he wants to play sommelier for you so that your heart is at the same place that the wine in your glass is. If you have seen that he is drawn to do something about your tears, like, like magnet to metal, like a lion to prime rim, if you've seen what God does with tears, then through tears, God has opened up to you today the meaning of Easter. The Lord is risen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for being our Father who saw our tears in time and in eternity is determined to wipe them all away. We thank you that in your Son, Jesus Christ, you have swallowed up death forever, that you have evicted like a vicious landlord our sin from the planet, and that you have made a space for us through Jesus Christ on your holy mountain to be with you forever. Transform our tears today until finally they're all wiped away by your hand, through Jesus Christ our Lord, I pray. Amen.